This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. And today we've got David Rush with us, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Small World. We're going to be talking about our favorite topic, relationships. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about referral programs. So, David, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a, an anecdote, if you will, and I, uh, to start. Now, I want to get your thoughts and response to it. So, uh, we generally tend to work with technical professional services companies, so consulting groups, commercial construction, et cetera, et cetera. And I often talk to CEOs because it's, again, office services based. They've built their, their organizations. They're often CEO founders, things like that. And one of the first questions I often ask is, you know, tell me a little bit more about your business. Where, where does... The majority, where the majority of your deals, where does your revenue currently come from? You know, these are twenty-five hundred to hundred million dollar organizations, sometimes bigger. And usually, the answer is like, it's some combination of employees, past employees, past clients, current clients. I'm like, oh, so it's sounds like it's mostly relationship based. Yeah, like what percentage? Usually, it's like 70, 70 to ninety percent is that. I'm like, well, that's a really large percentage. Like what's stopping you from accelerating that? And generally, some way, shape, or form, they get to, well, you know, refer, we can't depend on referrals. They're not predictable. They're not scalable. We can't really build our business in that way anymore. Yep. What is your response to that? How do you, how do you react to that? Yeah, I think it's a natural <clears throat> reaction for them to say that because I think what people typically think of as a referral is, um, something that is is inbound. Um, one, it you know something they're sort of you know reacting to, not as comfortable to ask for those referrals. There may not be a process in place. Um, they're also thinking about customers. I think that refer that would have had a great experience with them, which is certainly one constituent that can make a referral. <clears throat> but to your point, you know this can be really anyone within the ecosystem of the business that has a relationship to that company that has an experience with that company. And it can extend to those people that actually know the target prospect and what might be timely or relevant to them. So I think one of the, the things that we're trying to educate the market around is this idea of a referral, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be um, the customer initiating an introduction and it only being customers or a partner, frankly, it can be this expansive number of points of connectivity that exist um, throughout the, the ecosystem of a business and beyond. And so um, there's a world of possibilities out there that, again, it's a, just a translation of what a referral really means. I love and I that. And <laughs> Gabby and I sometimes tend to fight over who gets to talk next. Gabby, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I think it was a perfect segue to really talk a little bit more about mindsets because... Um, you know, you talked a little bit about this misconception around where do referrals come or, or what they are, who, who initiates them. You know, if, if somebody out there wants to start a referral program and, and for reference, our audience is mostly B2B marketers. Um, I would say probably all of it or all of them are B2B marketers. Um, you know, what is the mindset that do you think 
somebody going into this idea, this this idea of, hey, I want to st- I want to implement a referral partnership program at my company. What is what's the initial mindset that they need to embrace to do that yeah. successfully? Yeah. You know, I think, again, partner programs in a lot of cases are already set up. But for a lot of companies, it's new to think about activating all of your employees as people that could, you know, refer, let's say, um, a, a former colleague that they worked with if they're an engineer and that company sells into engineering. Um, it could be a referral into that target company where they used to have um, a relationship with somebody that's at that company now. So I think, you know, customer referral programs, uh, once again, you know, have typically been customer success manager has a great meeting, quarterly business review. Hey, do you know anybody else in your industry that's solving some of the same you know challenges that you are, where if there is a program that incentivizes those customers and gives them a place to um, make those referrals you know, proactively, but also enlist them when they um, it's visible that they know someone. Um, uh, those can be terrific because that just creates sort of this uh, incentive structure for you know new cohorts beyond a traditional partner program um, when they think about referrals. And kind of go digging into that a little bit more. I mean, I think a lot of folks that are thinking about implementing a partnership program, if one is not currently in place at their company, um, I think the mindset is immediately, okay, let's talk to current customers and let's talk to um, people in our network, you know, people that we know that are either service providers or adjacent adjacent companies to what we do, um, vendors, et cetera. Um, and for that, it's pretty, you know, I, I would say that's that's the logical place to go. But, you know, you talked about really um, activating your employee base. In that situation, do you feel that the mindset should be that employees should want to give referrals regardless of whether there's remuneration? Or do you think that it's better to remunerate an employee um, to nurture this type of behavior? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think at the, the senior levels, they are not looking for you know any type of compensation. If it's a board member, advisor, an executive, they're intrinsically motivated to help the business and don't necessarily need that. If we think about employee referral programs for new hires, there's typically a built-in bonus for those referrals already. And so what we're finding is the companies tend to mirror that program and to say, hey, if you can make an introduction uh, into you know, a target company and that leads to new business, um, we'd be happy to you know, reward you with a commission that's similar, a bonus structure that's similar. So I think it um, just dovetails off of what's sort of already in place with traditional uh, referral programs for employees and plays nicely into them having a new incentive to want to help. Interesting. How, I mean, maybe dig in a little bit deeper because it's something that we've honestly kicked back and forth and struggled internally, which is, you know, does creating the incentive, does that go against culture to a certain extent? So I mean, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't, I don't want to yep. lead the witness. What, what, are, yeah. what are your thoughts about that? It's a very delicate thing, right? So, so we believe that any of these introductions have got to be made with trust and authenticity. And you, the last thing you can do is, is damage that trust that's been established with whoever you know. And so, um, you know, through our system, we actually have access to an external network where <clears throat> they're 
is an expectation that it's relevant or timely or it's not a request that should even be made, right? And so to your point, um, this idea of, of, you know, incentivizing, you know, someone and matchmaking and just paying them for a meeting um, can become um, pretty, it, it can pollute the whole, the whole concept. Um, but when there's a match made, right, when there's mutual benefit um, and there ends up being a business transaction, that typically um, people feel more comfortable with that because they're really trying to deliver value to both, both parties. And I think um, that's the mindset behind it. And to your point, you don't need to have an incentive structure to make this work. Um, you know, not to you know plug our system, but we've built a system that that has intangible benefits in it because we make it easier for the connectors to make these introductions, and that alone is is you know sometimes the big benefit. So it's a fine line you want to walk, and um, the most important thing is that that trust isn't broken and that social capital is retained um, with with every introduction. Yeah, I definitely like the focus on the the trust aspect because it definitely comes down to that. And even, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, I think it was, I think it was LinkedIn that put out the study. I can't remember who in terms of the, I can't remember who they partnered with, but about, you know, a lot of people find jobs through sort of loose connections and that kind of thing. But even in those instances, there is some level of trust that exists, even if it's a, an acquaintance that maybe you, maybe you haven't even worked with before. But you trust them for some reason. Maybe it's their content. Maybe it's whatever. Like you, there is a there is a level of trust built that they're comfortable making that referral, either as a hey, you should get a job here, or hey, you should try to do business with these people, or et cetera, et cetera. Which actually brings me to um, something you mentioned. I, I, I forgot to write down what you called it, but it really resonated because we call it vectors of influence. So a lot of people think about. Um, Oh, well, like you're saying, it's not just customers, right? It's, it, it could be employees and it can be even external people. So we think about these vectors of influence. Talk a little bit more about that. How do you operationalize that? Yeah. So I think within, you know, the ecosystem of, of any business, uh, it can be its customers, its partners, its advisors, its employees. We even talked about the spouses of employees is this extended network of trust, right? That, really is about, um, you know, being enabled uh, to be in control over the relationships that they have, um, be um, consistently communicated with when they can add value and make an introduction. And a lot of connectors, you know, we found it's really just knowing kind of the status and an update as to what happened, you know, once they made an introduction. So, um, you know, reminders, notifications, you know, sort of, you know, keeping all that, you know, intact is, is key. But um, you know, one thing that we're looking into as well is third degree relationships. So, um, you know, we, we look at relationship strength um, sort of in five different levels from very strong to very weak. And when there's a very strong relationship, this is someone that you're constantly in contact with. You've known for quite some time. They could ask you a favor. You could ask them a favor. And they may know somebody that used to work at a company that you're trying to meet with. Right. That would never be something that would be visible. But because of the very strong relationship, it changes the dynamic dynamic of that relationship. And so when we think about that extended network, um, this becomes rather interesting when you start to um, identify very strong relationships versus just average relationships. Let's talk about that mindset a little bit, David, because one of the things that we hear constantly, especially as marketers, is 
you got to give value, give, 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 you know, there's this, there's this idea. Um, and, and we, we ascribe to it ourselves in our business, the way that we work, Mike and I, and with our clients and with our network of, of just giving, you know, being a giver more than a taker. And I, and I think that that idea has resonated with a lot of people. It's, it's become sort of par for the course in how people do business nowadays, or more importantly, I should say how people want to do business or who they, whom they would like to do business with. But mm-hmm. I think that there is still some crunchy, um, feelings around, okay, people get this idea of giving. But what is the mindset when you need to make an ask? Because a referral program is only as good as the ask itself. Mm -hmm. And if somebody doesn't know how to initiate the ask or when to make the ask or what, you know, what, what's in it for the other person, right? Understanding the, the nature of the ask, um, you know, that could make or break a referral program, no matter how strongly you have those connections with people. It's all about the ask, I think. And so I'm curious to your thoughts, David, about how do you cultivate that mindset for people, especially employees who are, let's say, not senior level executives in a company, but they like the company, they're working there, they're happy there. They feel motivated to get an additional, you know, bump in, in a paycheck to make a referral, but they don't know how to go about doing that the right way. What is the mindset that, um, that somebody organizing this referral program needs to have in order to cultivate the right ask? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's an important point because the request itself has got to be uh, timely and relevant, right? So whoever that intended, you know, introduction into is, um, you know, they have to believe that it's worth their time to make time to have this introduction. And then the outcome has proved to be a, a useful uh, time spent, right? Otherwise, that trust gets injured a little bit because it was time wasted, right? So the 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 way we approach that problem is sort of requiring that a salesperson provide that context and specificity, whether that's third-party intent data, whether that's a quote you know, from a press release or something in the 10K that ties it back to why it would be relevant to this person, that becomes an important part of what gets crafted in the request. And then, um, you know, one of the ways too that we've found can work really well is that a referrer can forward an email that's been crafted by the person making that request. And if it's a clean looking, consistent format where the message really is, you know, hey, Mike, um, um, I'm forwarding a message I got from a colleague of mine who was interested in meeting with you. If you believe this is timely and relevant, would love to make the introduction. If it's not, don't sweat it. You know, look forward to seeing you in the next few weeks, you know, uh, you know, up, uptown or whatever. Right. So in that case, you're kind of more of a um, someone who's trying to provide value add. Right. This could be something that is top of mind right now. This could be something that you're evaluating. And so I think when you have you know, something specific like intent data, then you're actually, you know, helping them, right? You're, you're sort of, you know, uh, giving them a reason to reach out. So I think that's always really important um, when you craft these requests and when you ever think about um, tapping into a relationship um, because it's deposits and withdrawals and you can only, you know, do so many before, you know, it's the boy that cried wolf and you really want to make each of those deposits count. Right, <clears throat> right. And so kind of extrapolating from there further, I think what I'm understanding is that in order to um, really have a successful referral partnership, a referral program and 
activate your employee base, there really needs to be a level of education and a mindset of going into this is, okay, we need to train our employees or we need to equip our employees with messaging, with maybe, you know, some quotes, um, some PDFs, some documents, a little bit of a toolkit. And we're going to talk about tools later on in the segment so we can maybe save this for then. But, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing. Is that, would you say that that's the right mindset people need to have when thinking about activating their employees? I think so, because you do want some consistency with how this, this works, right? And obviously a lot of companies are encouraging employees to, you know, share their voice on social and, and, you know, promote brands that way. And you don't want to put up too many guardrails, but you certainly want to have a system in place where there's quality and consistency. And that's, you know, when we think about operationalizing it really where that, you know, toolkit comes in, into play. Excellent. So I've got I want to, uh, two hypothetical people. I want to put you in, into their shoes. Uh, the first one being, let's say you are the CEO or CRO, let's just say of a hundred million dollar organization. And you are looking to build a, a better uh, referral program in-house. What are the skill sets that you need to be successful? As the CEO? CEO uh, or CRO, like some you know, C-suite yeah. leader that's, who's, in, yeah. who's leading up that, that uh, project. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think it does start with partners, right? I think when you think about a referral program, um, you know, those relationships become the first place that any, you know, strong referral program starts. And you look at um, synergistic businesses, uh, channel partners, uh, complementary applications, and um, enriching those relationships at the most senior level so that there's true collaboration between both teams. I think that in, in a CRO role or a CEO role would be uh, the first place I would start. Um, but of course, you know, then it becomes sort of a, a culture shift uh, if you want to activate the rest of the organization where there's a common language everybody's speaking. Um, there's a, uh, you know, an opportunity for everybody to participate. And I think like that is something then you're consistently talking about, you know, as a leader. Um, and so, again, we're talking about operationalizing this, but it becomes part of how you think about um, your 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 metrics and KPIs as it relates to, let's say, top of funnel production. It's no longer, you know, just a, another, um, you know, lead. It's 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 really an input metric for marketing that becomes absolutely critical. So, I think just attention to it, where um, you know you know and understand conversion rates are higher, average deal size is bigger sales cycles are shorter, it's affecting every deal velocity metric, and you're attuned to that pretty closely. Is there anything from, uh, again, from that senior level position that you can do to um, accelerate the program? Um, you know, I think I go back to partners, I think. I think like um, that's probably an you know underutilized channel, I think, in a lot of companies uh, where, you know, it exists and then it's a really sort of uh, uh, loose relationship that isn't, you know, uh, cultivated <clears throat> as well as it can be in a lot of companies. You have a strong channel partner leader. Um, you know, there's been some great hardware companies that have done that. That's how I think you can accelerate it really quickly. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I do think if you are the executive and you're participating, right, you can lead by example. So if you're actively making these introductions and you're expecting your direct reports and your peers to do the same, then that sort of trickles down to the rest of the organization uh, and people start to feel comfortable with it too. Yeah, I've, I've seen it done really well in the like the cybersecurity space, the CRM space. That's where I've, I've seen it done really well as well as some uh, like electronics manufacturing, things like that. Yeah, you know, Mike, you asked David, if, if you know, if he was like a CEO, you know, a, 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 a chief executive officer in a company, if he was um, going to be implementing a type of program. And I wanted to clarify with David, does it necessarily have to come from the C-suite? And is the C-suite, you know, a member of the C-suite, the best person to implement a type of a program like this? Should it be the marketing leader? Should it be the sales leader? Um, should it be somebody in customer service? Or is it more nuanced than that? And it really just depends on the size of the organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's all the above. Everybody's got a different role, right? I think from, you know, the, the most senior level, if, if that person, again, is, is actively participating and, and reinforcing the importance of it and presenting metrics on how it's impacting the business, then, you know, everybody's, you know, going to get behind it a little bit more, but you can get into, you know, the field marketing team, and they're going to be the ones that really think about how do we activate this? How do we create some contests internally? How do we recognize and reward? Um, you know, how do we, you know, reinforce force this? So there's, I think there's, you know, a, a role for, um, you know, all the constituents to play in a, in a really strong referral program. There was, well, so that was the, the first scenario. The second scenario is, let's say you are, actually, you just threw one out that that could be interesting. Let's say you're the field marketing leader, right? Or really anybody at that, we'll call it middle management level in an organization. Um, what are the skill sets that that person needs to, uh, to see success with this? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, again, because how we're thinking about relationships and referrals is broader than just partners, right? I think it's being very creative about how they can, you know, enlist these different groups to participate. I think, um, uh, you know, the way in which they, you know, make this part of the daily routine for everybody, the way that it becomes a part of the, um, the language that everybody starts to speak, we call them relationship leads, right? So you get, you've got MQLs, you've got, you know, third party intent leads, and then we call them relationship leads in our platform, which is, you know, these are more actionable, much higher converting than any kind of cold outreach. So it becomes part of the workflow for the sales team, part of the routine for other people within the organization to rate their relationships. Um, and so I think someone that can really, um, you know, promote that and then implement it uh, and measure it, you know, has the skill set uh, to be effective. What's the most creative thing you've seen, whether it's one of your clients or just outside of uh, your business, what's the most creative thing that you've seen somebody do to uh, activate any constituent in this? Yeah. I mean, I, I still think I've seen it a couple times recently is, is people are starting to feel comfortable with activating employees for this. And, and it's fascinating. It's taken this long. I think it's new, but, you know, I think it's, it's called a refer-a-thon, um, you know, that a company had where it's, it's for one quarter, 
um, they're enlisting, you know, all their employees, um, you know, to uh, really look at, you know, the, the history of, of working relationships that they've had or other relationships. Uh, and they're making, you know, it a really fun contest where they're going to have a leaderboard, they're going to have visibility, you know, into who's making the most introductions and they're, you know, they're going to make it fun. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, I think that's where there's, there's hidden gold uh, for companies that especially sell into buying centers where, where traditionally sales and marketing teams don't have those relationships. So when we think about engineering or IT and security or finance or operations, uh, it's one thing if a sales and marketing team is selling into their own buying center, it's another if they're going into foreign territory. What? Uh, talk to me more about the, uh, or to us, I should say, not just to me, there's two of us here. Um, uh, the referathon idea, do you have any other, like more tactically, like what have people done? Like the, the first thing that came to my head as I was thinking about like, oh, like the, per- the, the person that makes the most referrals gets an all expenses paid trip to Cabo for a weekend or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, uh, I haven't seen anything like that yet, but that's, you know, dependent on the company, right? And, and most of them will have some sort of an internal contest like that. I think the flat bonus is 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 fine, but it's not as fun as, you know, having kind of a first, second and third. Um, uh, what was one that I saw really recently it was funny? Second place got a set of steak knives, which I thought was very clever and funny. Um, but uh I can't. I can't come up with one for you on the fly here. I'll. I'll think about it and come back to it later if if I think of one. Well, similar question from me, David. So we talked a lot about, um, you know, nurturing the employee base. I'm wondering if you have any awesome examples or or something that sticks out of how a company can nurture their external partners. You know, we if if you've got a contract in place and and you've educated and now you know now your partners. Um, are, are, are equipped to, let's say, start bringing your name up in conversations or, or dropping your name to, uh, to you know, to, with a, within a mutual ICP. What, is a, what are some like neat, awesome, cool things that you've seen companies do to really nurture those external referral partners and, and make it so that they're always top of mind with those folks? Yeah. You know, the lunch and learns are fine, but everybody does those, right? Where you go in and educate on a new capability. Um, you know, I think the best ones spend as much face time as they can. Um, you know, through this world of Zoom, we've kind of forgotten the value of that. And um, I even did a, a training. Uh, I participated in a training on site just so I could be near some of our end users a couple of weeks ago. And it just made a world of difference. And so I think those you know, those happy hours actually make a difference, um, you know, when you can create, again, a trusted relationship. So now it's not just you've got capabilities that might matter to my customers, but I know that um, you're a good person. And if I were to put you in front of my customer, I'd feel comfortable that you would be professional and actually make me look good, right? So I think um, that would be a best practice is just building that personal trust, that personal relationship, um, you know, doing something offsite. And I think that, you know, can make a, a big difference. So it's not really about the t-shirts and the hats and the sexy swag. It's really what you're saying. It's really, it's about that relationship. If they were a good enough, uh, if you had a good enough relationship to want to 
in, enroll them in your program or, or nurture them into your program, then you should continue to further that relationship even more um, now that they that there is an incentive, uh, you know, yeah. on the other end. Well, I think so. I think, you know, again, and, and it's got to go beyond relationship into business value too, right? So I think like that blend of great relationship, trust and relationship, but, you know, one plus one equals three, if we can show specific case studies and examples where a customer had both of our solutions, um, you know, they went, right? So then there's a there's an incentive to want to um, have that, you know, other person look good. And of course, they're going to get paid on it. But they also know that they want to build that relationship with that customer to continue to sell them products and services. So I think you want to you want a perfect combination of of business value, one plus one equals three, plus that trust and personal relationship. What would you say is the biggest mistake that uh, companies make when uh, implementing these programs? They launch them and then just. And then just don't um, support them effectively. Uh, don't have a, a regular cadence of communication and follow up. They don't track and measure the effectiveness of it. They become maybe one sided, right? Where one partner's more willing to, you know, actively participate um, than than another one. And then reps' expectations are not met, and so they sort of give up because you know it doesn't yield the outcomes. And I also think that the incentives have to be structured properly. And, and again, we're focused on partner referral programs right now, but I think like that becomes a, a big incentive for that salesperson to, to decide whether or not they want to make a make an introduction because their time is valuable. So I think those are some of the things that can break down um, to where those you know relationships don't necessarily work. And frankly, you can have too many referral partners. You could have you know where you you dilute your time and you don't focus enough. So five great ones is probably better than 15 low quality ones that don't really yield a whole lot. I think here the, the adage of quality over quantity applies, right? It applies in most things in life. It's better to have fewer quantity, but really high quality than greater quantity and really poor quality. So makes total sense here. Uh, David, let's, uh, uh, Mike, unless you have any other skill set questions, I'd love to jump into tool sets. Not as much questions as more of uh, thinking about what you both just said. It's recognizing, kind of thinking about this uh, opportunity cost is what I'm looking at in terms of every partner or every, whether it's a formal, like formal partner or just a influencer or whatever that you're working with from a referral perspective, it takes time to manage that relationship. And every, all the time you're spending, you know, it's an opportunity cost for something else you could be doing, whether within the program or outside of the program. I think that's, that, that to me is an important thing to, uh, to call out. Cause I think I agree with you, David, where a lot of people kind of go too broad like, Oh, well, just the more, the more, the better. Right. And they forget the, or they don't think through what it actually takes to um, maintain and build and nurture these relationships for them to actually be effective and fruitful. And they end up spending maybe a little bit of time on each, but in aggregate so much time that nothing happens. Well, and, and I think a lot of people get trapped into, you know, if I'm having a conversation with you and I learn pretty quickly, maybe you're not going to be able to help me. Then, you know, my inclination is to try to wrap up that conversation really quickly when, reality is um, 
you know, invest time to listen and to be authentic and to have that conversation. Because by the end of our conversation, maybe you will say to me, hey, I know that this isn't a good fit for me, but I've got three people that are perfect for you. And what ends up happening is that trust is established because you took the time and the effort, you know, to build a real relationship. And, and more times than not, you know, that ends up opening doors that you would have never thought could be opened. Um, and, and that's where I think the best connectors are not networkers. They're not sort of like, it's not how many people can I connect with? It's how many true relationships do I have where they can, you know, trust me to help them because I want to genuinely. And, and as a result, they'll help me if I, if I need help too. All right, well, let's talk about tool sets. We talked a little bit earlier in the in the conversation that there needs to be some, especially if you're trying to activate your employees, there needs to be some kind of a toolkit uh, to help them be successful in making the ask. Um, David, I'm curious, what additional tools, and th these could be, you know, um, platform tools, uh, these could be physical tools, these could be just... Um, training as an example, training as a tool set, what kinds of tools uh, do you think somebody needs to have or, or bring in when they want to implement a referral program in, in their organization? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think every company's got a CRM, right? Where they're organizing target accounts, um, whether it's Salesforce or HubSpot or some other CRM, like all of it's managed and organized through a CRM and it all sort of starts and ends there. Um, and then as you get into, you know, contact data, you're talking about Zoom info and, and LinkedIn and, and so forth. Um, and so we could go on and on. There's a, there's a, a lot of tool sets, but when we start to think about referrals specifically, um, you know, I think Crossbeam's done a terrific job in terms of sort of partner overlap and, you know, what they've been able to do to sort of map, you know, um, you know, where partners exist. Um, and, and selfishly, you know, at Small World, what we're you know, looking to do is to create and operationalize uh, relationships at scale. And, and we're unlocking trust as a way to get an audience that you otherwise, you know, wouldn't be able to get. Right. And so with that, it's a um, easier, faster user experience for that person that's going to be the refer because they now can offer help and see companies where they used to work or that are, you know, close to them in proximity because we use location or, um, are where they have the most, you know, LinkedIn connections. So having an easy way for me to offer help. But then also um, we talked about forwarding an email, creating a user experience where with a couple clicks, I can make that introduction. And with confidence, I can know um, the status of that introduction as it makes its way through the funnel. Because everybody that we speak to, you know, wants to be able to know what happened. Um, and, you know, and, and it's not enough to make that introduction and then it just kind of goes into the abyss, right? And there's no way to really know. So one thing we're excited about is if it's a small world lead and it makes it all the way through to closed one, there's a dollar amount attached to that. And that person can feel really good about the impact that they're making on the business when it's all said and done. So, um, you know, I think that inspires, uh, participation, uh, and, and, you know, certainly helps, um, you know, as people are making those introductions and referrals. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that because I, I'm just thinking about all the times I've made intros for a variety of reasons. And unless I hear back from that person, I'm always reaching out going, Hey, you know, remember I introduced you to so-and-so how'd that go? What'd you think? Yep. Right. Cause yep. I, I also like intrinsically want to know, did I make the right intro? Right. That's right. Cause that reflects on me. Right. And sometimes the answer is, well, you know what? It wasn't really that great. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like yep. now I know. 
Well, and, and what, and, and, and sorry, just to build on that, you know, you certainly want to close the loop because one, it shows you appreciated it. It shows gratitude and, and they appreciate that, but believe it or not, you know, then they'll circle back with that person. Hey, how did it go? And if it went mm-hmm. well, their willingness to want to make more introductions proactively goes way up because one, you've closed the loop, but two, they know that you, you know, sounded professional and it went well. And so they can actually grow their social capital with other people that look just like that person. And so there's a, there's a myriad of reasons to close the loop uh, after, you know, having a successful introduction. So really bottom line, when it comes to tools, I mean, there's a number of tools that need to be implemented and, and some that already exist in an organization like a CRM, um, some sort of an education toolkit for your employees or for your external partners. Um, but above and beyond all of that, really what I'm hearing is it's about visibility. It's about making sure that the referrer and the referee are seeing, are coming full circle and seeing that visibility that yes, refer, referral was made. This is a great referral. We're art. We're starting conversations. Thank you so much. Or referral made not a great, not a great fit but appreciate it. And here's what we're doing to follow up with this person or, or we're going to send them a, a lovely gift card for their time or whatever that might, you know, whatever your company's policy is around gifting. And some companies are very into gifting, some are not, but you know, it's always great. I think to, um, to reward somebody with some kind of remuneration, whether that's a dollar amount for close one deal or some other kind of, um, tool or not tool, sorry, some other kind of intrinsic reward to say, Hey, thanks so much. Not a great fit, but would love to keep in touch with you either way. Long story short, what I'm loving what you're saying here, David, is visibility is key. So whatever tools you use and small worlds should maybe definitely be high on your consideration. The idea is visibility is critical. Yes, absolutely. In fact, we've built a capability into our system that you described um, with a partner called Thanks, uh, Thanks Without an A, that uh, allows you to show that gratitude through whether it's a $25 gift certificate or, you know, bottle of wine, um, cup of coffee. It can just be that closing of the loop that shows that appreciation. Awesome. Well, we are at the segment where we want to talk results. So, David, we'd love to hear if you have um, maybe some results of your clients or client or, you know, other, others, uh, you know, real world maybe results internally to your business or yeah. exactly. Maybe it's, it's an example, um, internally at, at your business. If somebody were to, you know, implement a referral program and have the mindsets that we talk about enlist the skill sets, use the tool sets, what kind of results can they achieve? And more more specifically, what kind of results have you seen out there that you can share with us on the show? Yeah. So I think, you know, any sales and marketing team looks at, you know, kind of two big things, right? It's it's size of the pipeline um, and then it's conversion rates. Of course, there's deal size and all of that too, but you're really looking at quality and quantity. And so when we look at conversion rates for introduction requests into refers who have expressed a strong or very strong relationship with a target prospect, they will say yes, 83% of the time when they're asked for an introduction into that particular person. Once they say yes, that meeting actually gets scheduled about 71% of the time. 
So I think the rough math is 55, 56% of the time, if you're a salesperson and you request an introduction into someone who has said they're a willing connector, who has a strong, very strong relationship, if you compare that to cold outreach or other methods of getting that meeting and SQL, and then also remember that's typically into a more senior level person, right? So it's not a manager level, this is VP or above, um, and the time in which then you can get that meeting. So instead of it being six to eight weeks, that meeting happens in two weeks. And so you're really impacting every part of, of the, the deal velocity metrics um, with, with an effective referral program. Those are the numbers that we've seen in our system. So when we think about the impact, and that's across you know, our customers and how they're making introductions, um, it's just it's, 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 it's very, very impactful. Uh, how much does? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, as you were talking, a uh, uh, thought came to, to mind, which is uh, how much does scale factor into the success equation? Meaning, is what you're talking about is that only effective if you're a company with whatever ten or more salespeople or SDRs? Is like is it is scale a factor? I guess is the short question. Yeah, I mean, when we think of connectors in our system. These are anyone connected to the business. The smaller the company, the less connectors you'll have. But we see, you know, a really great match rate and really great success, even with like 50 connectors in the system. Um, so, you know, this can still be super beneficial to a smaller company. Um, the other thing that, you know, we've got um, ready to, to move to production pretty soon is an external network. And we talked about this, but this will be a much more carefully curated, sort of anonymized, non-competitive way to connect with a target prospect where there truly is a real relationship there and it truly is timely and relevant to the target prospect. And so the idea there is we'll create um, uh, the, the motion of reciprocity uh, between two people that can both mutually benefit. Um, and in that case, it's infinite scale because in theory, that external network can become as big as it, it can be. And, you know, the, the mission and vision for us is every single target prospect, every person you're seeking to meet has a relationship, has re multiple relationships, both personal and professional. There's a way to get to them if you've got a compelling message. Um, you know, we talked about this, I think, Mike, too. It's, you know, sales is about timing and trust. And this idea of trust means that you'll unlock doors with an audience that didn't know that they had a problem to solve. So, Oftentimes, sales teams are running after kind of the intent-based leads and the, and the people that are in market, or we've got this, you know, lead who what the truth is, there could be a perfect persona, fits your ICP in the right vertical. They have the exact same problem that, that you're solving for one of your best customers, right? And they still aren't answering your, your emails because they're deaf to cold email, and they're still not reading your ABM content because they're too busy, but as soon as somebody within your network that knows them reaches out and says, I think it's worth 30 minutes of your time, you'll get that meeting within a week or two. Uh, and then you've got the audience that you need and they were never in market before. So that's that's the power of it if it's done right. Yeah, and I love that because we we consistently talk to uh, to people that are kind of focused on ABM and intent data. And my comment to them a lot of the time is like, if you're waiting for those intent signals, you're probably too late. By the time they're in market, they've already gotten an introduction to somebody. They've already asked their 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 referral group to, "Hey, I'm I've got this problem. Who should I talk to?" And if you weren't on that list, good luck. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think that's right. And listen, I, I I'm a believer in intent data, but because I, I think you know 
that obviously is a signal, but I couldn't agree more with you where, you know, you want your brand top of mind all the time. And that's why marketing still matters. And, and that content and that, like you said, you're, you're sort of giving Gabby early in the, the conversation around, you know, creating great content and, you know, drawing them in through levity and sort of, you know, you know, irreverent, you know, stuff. And then you sort of can, you know, make the ask, but at the end of the day, um, that trust creates an audience with somebody that you really want to speak to that oftentimes is just not accessible. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's nothing more to say, folks, here. It's all about relationships. This is what we believe at Proofpoint. You know, we talk about relationship-led growth. We talk and, about relationships at scale, too. I think there's, there's a lot of similar language here. There's a, yep. There's a lot of um, similarities here in, in, in the way that we approach marketing and the way that you approach um, specifically referral partnerships, but really leveraging relationships for business value. Uh, so I think... I, I, that's it. People just get on your relationships, focus on those relationships. Uh, David, thank you so much. We're going to jump. Uh, well, actually, actually, let me ask a question because normally Mike always has something else he wants to add. Mike, I don't have anything else. This is a good place to stop. Okay. Nothing else to add here, folks. Um, relationships are everything. Done. <laughs> let's talk about, well, let's move into the lightning round. Uh, so David, we're going to try to stump you. No, I'm just kidding. These are easy questions, whatever comes to mind. Um, we call it a lightning round, but by no means does it mean you have to be fast. Uh, just, you know, things that come to your mind that make sense for these questions. So I guess I will take us through that here. Uh, David, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Conversions. What's something new? you're looking forward to testing this year? Uh, our external network, we're calling super connectors. What's a marketing best practice that you hate and would like to see disappear? Retargeting. What is your least favorite business word or phrase? Hmm, I'll go with core competency. <laughs> what is your favorite business or marketing book? Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And what's the best business or marketing advice that you that either you have given or that was given to you? Uh, pricing is underrated. It's it's a very important part of, of capturing as much value as possible. And last but not least, what is a favorite tool or platform that you cannot live without in your business? I love Twitter. I hate to say it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, we can't live without. My engineers would love to answer this question, but uh, uh, you know, Slack is is of course what we communicate with constantly all day. So I'll say Slack. Excellent, excellent choice. Master okay. marketer after hours. All right, this is this going to be a new segment for? I don't know, maybe if, if <laughs> usually we run over, but we didn't in this case. You mentioned you hate remarketing. I want. I want to know why. What's your? What's your? Uh, yeah, retargeting. It works, but it's so annoying to me because you go to a website. Um, you know, maybe you already even made a purchase there. This has happened to me several times, right? And then you're getting these ads that are totally not relevant. And I know whether or not I want to go back to that website, right? I think, um, you know, it just happens so frequently in social media that you're like. 
it's so obvious on Facebook. And so I know that if I'm going to, you know, Zappos or like, I'm just going to get crushed in my feed. And I think just consumers are smart, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, it works. Listen, it works. So you got to do it, but it's just one of those annoying things. No, it's, I, I have to ask the question. I, I'm curious to you, uh, do you have that same reaction to retargeting on the B2B side as on the B2C side? Um, like I said, it works. So like I would always sponsor to, to do it. It's not like it's, hey, listen, mm-hmm. this works. This is still top of mind. It's more of as, as the, I almost took the consumer perspective when I said that. Cause sure. It's like, all right, now you're going to crush me with, you know, all these ads. And I can, it's just, mm-hmm. I can see right through it. Um, so, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a decision maker, do we need to do retargeting? I'd say yes, because it because it can work and it can show that it has effectiveness. As a consumer, I'd love to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, the best way. Well, and the reason I asked the question, I think it's because I think everybody, I think I feel the exact same way. Um, I think that a lot of I see this on the B two B side where there's just I think people put too much stock in like this mere exposure effect. I'm like, okay, you're selling a hundred thousand dollar product. You're not Coca-Cola trying to sell another 12 pack. There's a difference Um, where it's not just like get your logo out in front of somebody with the same thing over and over and over again. But um, you know, like when we do it with, for our clients, we try to layer in kind of a series of educational things and whatnot, where it's not just buy our product, buy our product, buy our product or service, whatever it is. Um, So I I, I want to talk about that because you're the first one that said it. But I think everybody thinks it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's all I have. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, advertising it's so interesting because I mean, you look at you know, look at Tesla, right? I mean, look at you know, Uber now advertising, but they never did before. And there were so many brands that can be built now on social and just through word of mouth that like it's a it's a it's a it's a really interesting thing. And it's like you're either trying to like you know. Uh, communicate trust, right? And just that that brand affinity, like you know, it's FedEx. It's like, hey, I know that if I send it by FedEx, like it's going to get there. And you just, because you've seen it enough times and it's top of mind. Um, and it's such a, a psychological, uh, and, and there's enough studies out there to prove kind of the reinforcement that you need as a brand. But no, I'm like, you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated um, at how much money is spent just through brand awareness versus just like really relevant targeting to a very relevant target audience with a really, you know, uh, smart message. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Yep. That's actually where that, I'm looking to bring somebody on the show to talk about, uh, that kind of stuff specifically. So stay tuned for when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So David, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Where can our audience get a hold of you? Uh, if they want to learn more about what you do and your philosophy around relationships at scale. Yeah, you can visit us at smallworld.ai. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and set up time for a demo. There's a self-guided product tour as well on our website. So um, we'd love to have a conversation. And it sounds also like Twitter is a good place to catch you as well, right? Sometimes. I'm, I, I'm a consumer is more than a tweeter, but, I, but uh, yes, I'll, I'm on there too. At, at okay. David Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, David, thank you for joining us today on the show. And everyone else, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Master Marketer Show. 
Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.